There is hope. The hard time letters, if you see this, it'll come up behind me. It'll show you that we're going through Paul's prison epistles. There's the messages you can see. Today, this hope is for anyone. And you'll kind of see what the message, uh, why it's titled that as we go through the text. We're going to talk about, if you thought last week was uncomfortable, (laughs) I guess it prepared us for this week. So here we go, starting in our text, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, well, what in the world is the therefore, therefore? You always have to ask that question. That means this message The next part of the text is necessarily connected to the previous text. Well, what was that all about? Remember, the emphasis was on the grace of God. Grace and faith soteriologically. The grace of God is the main thing. And remember, Paul kept reminding us, you once were lost. You once were dead. You once were like those other people. So the idea is we're not supposed to be judging them. Because we were once like that. We're supposed to be trying to reach them. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now, we're going to get further in the text, but... Circumcision, we will talk about in just a little bit. That is one of those things I remember in Bible college being so incredibly uncomfortable when these Bible college professors are so good at peeling back the details. So they're going to go deep into the scriptures, and circumcision comes up. And I thought, this is uncomfortable because it's a mixed group like this is. This is uncomfortable. And then to make matters worse, There was a naive female in the room who actually raised her hand, and I thought, oh, no, don't. And she did. She said it. What is that? We're not going to go that far in explaining all of that today, just so you know. But I am going to give you some details that are uncomfortable about that particular subject. But Paul is clearly identifying that uh, at one point in time, you were considered of those outside. That's essentially what this means. By the group that was inside. And that was done based on the flesh. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, but when you were on the outside, and judged to be on the outside by those that are on the inside, alienated, from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You were like those other people who had no hope. Now you have hope, but you were once in that same condition. And he's specifically using circumcision as a discussion. And there's certainly deep conversations that Cadme had about all of those things associated with the symbolism connected to circumcision Those are best done in the home, in my opinion, with parents involved. But I want to talk to you about something with this. If you don't know what circumcision is, you definitely ought to be talking to your family at home. But 
For those of you who have, who have not ever been a part of witnessing such a thing, I'm going to, I'm going to expose you to something uncomfortable. Do you, have you seen one of these before? Look at this image behind me. Um, so you can tell what this does is it restrains the baby. And it's got a name. You'll see the title come up behind me. It's called a Circumcision Restraint Board. There are uh, a lot of people that will share their opinions that when a baby is circumcised, they don't really feel it. Not true. That is absolutely and categorically not true. If you've ever witnessed anything like that, you know the baby is extraordinarily traumatized. Now, we could get into, but your family should be the ones having the discussion. And if you want to have a study, we can do that, but not in this venue. I don't know the ultimate reasons behind why God instituted such a thing. I don't know, I don't know all of the reasons. I don't know everything. I, I see things happen in Scripture definitely connected to, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. If it hadn't been for this plan, then these things wouldn't have unfolded the way they did. But I can tell you it is a matter of fact that when a baby goes through a circumcision, that baby is severely traumatized. And it was all by the plan of God. Like I said, I don't know all of the reasons. I will share with you one opinion that I do have. And it's just an opinion. I could be way off. But I do believe that if you look at all of the wars that would follow Israel, it makes sense that God would do this, have this thing done for many reasons, but one of them possibly being that these babies would have the potential to be more aggressive than others. Because from a very, very young age, they are traumatized to a point where they, it, it becomes a harsh reality. You are alone and you're hurting. And that's what the physical thing looks like if you've ever seen, if you haven't seen it, they, the babies are restrained and they, are, they do hurt. I want to tell you a story about circumcision. In the Old Testament, it's in Genesis chapter 34, you can read all about it yourself, but what happened is, uh, we've got God's people that are mixing with a little bit with people that are not God's people. And God had very strict regulations. Don't do that. Don't, don't mix. Because if you mix, you're going to follow their beliefs. He wanted them to stay loyal to him. If you start mixing with them, they, they serve other gods. They are pagan. They're not loyal to God. So there needs to be a clear distinction or there will be disloyalty to God. And what happened is... Uh, one of these ungodly people named Shechem actually raped Jacob's daughter. But he also somehow, someway decided that he was loving her and wanted her as his wife. So he had his father, Hamer, approach Jacob and say, hey, I'd like to, I'd like to have her as my the father said, I, my son would like to have uh, Leah as his wife. And I'll do anything. I'll give anything. I'll pay anything, whatever, to make this right. And we can be one people. That was the idea. Well, when Jacob's sons came in from their work in the fields, when they came in, they were livid. 
he raped our sister. We're not supposed to be intermingling. And then he did that. This is horrible. They were so livid. So what they did is they made a very conniving deal. They said, I tell you what, Hamar, Shechem, if all of, we can do that. We can, we can become one people. If all your men and boys will be circumcised. And there, if you look this up, you will find that there are people today making this akin, the, the, the vaccination mandate, akin to what Jacob's sons did to Hamar and Shechem and all of their people in Canaan, all of the men in that area. Okay, so you're saying that if all of the men will be circumcised and will be one. Yeah, all right. That sounds like a fair deal. I don't know about you. That doesn't sound like a fair deal. It sounds horrible. And I don't and and this would not fly today. You I mean there's we have very big divisions. There are people that don't want to be told to be vaccinated. Can you imagine what would it be like if all the men were told you're all going to be circumcised? That would not fly. And this, this is a discussion that's happening in a many venues online right now. It's amusing. But this was a sneaky, conniving plan. They wanted to do this on purpose. So on the third day, after all the men and boys had complied, all of them that had not been circumcised in this land of Canaan that were in this particular region... They were all circumcised. And then what happened is two of Jacob's sons went on the third day while the men and boys were in pain and they killed all of their warriors. Only two of Jacob's sons did this. It's a, it's a crazy thing, but it just highlights the fact that circumcision is extraordinarily painful and debilitating. Now, I'm still going to be talking about circumcision for a minute because it's part of the text, but here you go. I want to bring up the pastoral epistles. Have you heard of the pastoral epistles? It's different than the prison epistles. The prison epistles are what we're going through. The pastoral epistles, I'll give you the names. They are First and Second Timothy and Titus. You'll see them come up behind me. And these in particular, these pastoral epistles, are named after two particular individuals. Timothy, you'll see that highlighted, and Titus. These are evangelists. They were both left in charge at their respective locations. Timothy was in Ephesus, you'll see that come up underneath, and Titus was in on the island of Crete. They were, if you read the pastoral epistles, what their duties were very clearly given to them. These evangelists were supposed to make sure that the leadership in the church met the qualifications, and they instructed them and all that sort of thing. They were supposed to lead the leaders. That's what evangelists are supposed to do. Don't be confused by modern vernacular. People like to argue. And by the way, if this helps you, if anybody were to ask me what I am called to be, it's an evangelist. I've said that ever since I knew that I was called to be an evangelist. And people like to argue and say, well, an evangelist, that's somebody who travels. That's somebody who goes around. They never stay in one place. Be careful. That is a modern twist on what an evangelist is. Think about it. If an evangelist is one who travels, then what is a traveling evangelist? There would be no need for the distinction. 
if you think about the specific, I'm sorry about the misspelling on Ephesus. There's supposed to be a U there instead of an I. Sometimes I throw my Greek stuff in there. I can misspell in multiple languages, just so you know. But Timothy was left in Ephesus, and this is our book, the epicenter of culture of the time. He's left in Ephesus to be the leader in the church. He's not traveling. He's left there to stay. Same thing with Titus. He is left in Crete to stay there to be the evangelist. So these two evangelists, they are standouts. In fact, the pastoral epistles are three letters written to these two individuals. Now, I want to give you a little bit of a crazy little twist on this because there's controversy here. In Acts chapter 16, I think that should come up. There you go. What we have is Timothy, he has one parent, his father is a Greek, and his mother is a Jew. And he's never been circumcised. And Paul felt that because they were going to be ministering to many Jews, and everyone knew that Timothy, was his father was a Greek, and he was uncircumcised, he thought, I'm going to have to make Timothy get circumcised so that he can minister to the Jews. Now, this is kind of weird because then we have, you'll see in, I forget the text, Galatians chapter 2, verse 3, you have Titus. Paul says, I, even though everybody knew uh, he was a Greek, um, he was uncircumcised, they were trying to compel him to be circumcised so we could minister to them, and... I refused. No, don't you impose this. So in one case, Acts 16, you have Timothy who was circumcised. And then in Galatians 2.3, you have a reference to Titus in a similar situation. And you'll see it'll come up red behind me. No, you're not going to be circumcised. So two different situations. You've got two evangelists that are being trained and shaped by Paul. And both of them are being compelled to be circumcised. But Paul says, no on Titus, and yes, on Timothy. And some would say, well, then Paul's a hypocrite. doesn't make any sense. Well, yes, it does, because he was imposing that on Timothy because he knew that it would be a barrier of ministry. But on Titus, it was the people that were trying to impose it on Titus, saying you have to do this to be a Christian. That's the difference. Does that make sense? It's just like today. If we have guests who come in here and we have a whole family of guests and they've all got masks on, you know what? I, I forgot. My plan was to have my mask ready to put my mask on so I don't run them off. But <laughs> when it comes to the circumcision thing, Timothy was circumcised so that he could effectively minister Titus was told, no, don't make this a mandate for Christianity. It doesn't fit. I hope that makes sense to you. Okay. Moving along in the text. But now, in Christ, this is verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So he's been hammering away all along about how you were once like them. You were once dead. You were once lost. You were once considered way outsiders, but now you're in. 
there can be a tendency of us to treat others who aren't like us, those who aren't Christians, like they are outsiders. We're supposed to, we, because they aren't like us, we're supposed to be different, we're supposed to be holy, but Paul is obviously compelling us to understand we were once in their condition. But you've been brought close by the blood of Christ. Verse 14 and following, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. See, that's the thing. It used to be a time where Israelites, we are, we are Hebrews and you are not like us. But when Christ came, it became a very different thing. We want to welcome and include people in, bring them in to Christianity. And it continues, by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The idea is there shouldn't be so much friction between Christians and non-Christians if we're going to be effectively reaching them. But I don't know if you caught this or not. I could have taken you to many passages. Uh, I could, could be Matthew, could be Mark, could be Luke. I'm going to take you here to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 17 and 18. This is Jesus. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus said, I'm not coming to abolish the law. And look at our text. We'll look at our text again. It says something different. If you'll go to the next slide. Look at that. I want you to pay careful attention because the wording is very different. Look at verse 15. I'll have it underlined. Abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. That's worded that way on purpose by the inspiration and wisdom of God because the idea that Jesus has given us in many different visuals is the principle of the law versus the letter of the law. You remember the Sabbath, all the teachings on the Sabbath? And we go into Hebrews and we're still supposed to remember the Sabbath, but it's the principle of the law, not the letter of the law. Jesus did not come to abolish it, but... This idea of abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Christianity is not about following a bunch of laws. We just learned that from our text last week. That's why the text this week began with therefore. It's about the grace. Ephesians 2, 17, our text continues. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So Christ reached far and he reached close. He wants to reach all of us, not just some of us. It used to feel like just the Hebrews. Now, Christ wants to reach all. We're supposed to be trying to reach all people. People that are far off, people that are close. People that kind of think, well, Jesus might be real, and people that are completely opposed to him. Continues, verse 19, 
So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. I don't know if you've heard much about the cornerstone, but the idea of it being the cornerstone, it is a very, it is the very central piece. Take it out, everything falls. That's the concept. If you'll remember in Romans chapter 11, Paul taught us that we are grafted in. I don't know if you've done much study on how, where the Jewish people are today. There are some that would argue, if you can go back in history, even in the Bible, that the Jewish lineage has been contaminated, so there is no real pure Jew today. And that's certainly a very compelling argument. But if you want to find out where most Jewish people live today, apparently, according to the information I could find, most Jews live in America. Did you know that? The majority live here. It's amazing. And there seems to be a teaching in churches that Jewish people, those are the chosen ones, those are the ones that are going to be, you know, especially a special place kind of a thing. And the reality is, the Jewish people were the chosen ones from whom the Messiah would come, and he came. And John 14 tells us there is only one way, and it's through Jesus. So it doesn't matter what your lineage is. If you have Jewish lineage or not, if you don't have Jesus, you're lost. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. John 14, 6. Jesus was being criticized after he had done an incredible thing of casting out demons. In Luke, people criticize him. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 17, they, they say he's like, oh, he must be connected to the devil if he's casting out demons. And Jesus says, but he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. That's the way it works. I wanted to read you that because I want to read you the last verse in our text. And you'll, you'll get the connection. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. But he, in him, <laughs> there we go. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see that note I, that's up there? It's got like a little, little parenthetical note. And at the bottom in my Bible, it has... A reference to that. And yours, it might have that as well, because that Greek word can be translated by or in the Spirit, and both have good connotations. But I left the word by there, because I think that's what the intention was. In him, you also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, we understand that the temple, our body is the temple, the, the host of the Holy Spirit, designed to bring glory and honor to God, to host the power of God in us as Christians. That's huge. But there is also a concept God wants us to get, and that is that we as his people are to be a dwelling for the Spirit of God and by the Spirit of God. And the concept is like this, unified. I put this word up behind me because I want you to dwell on it. He wants us to be unified. That's kind of the concept that he's been aiming for from the beginning of Ephesians 2 as he's telling us we 
were once just like those lost people, those dead people. And he continues in our text today, we were, we were like them. We were considered those in the uncircumcised group, and now we are welcomed in along with the group that are considered circumcised, the Gentiles with the Jews combined, unified. And he wants his church to be unified. And the reason why I have this up behind me is because I want to show you a couple of words. I'll give you a negative word, and that is critical. We can choose to be critical. And if we do, then what we'll do is we'll look for and find faults in other people. It's easy to do that, and we've talked about this already. But if we're going to choose to be critical, that will not help us to be unified. That is the antithetical thought of unity, is to have a critical mindset. Or we can choose, on the other hand, a different mindset, and that is to be gracious. And here we go, back to grace, where we started last week. Grace is the emphasis. Our text started with therefore, taking us back to grace. We're supposed to be welcoming to people who are very different than us. But if they accept Christ, we accept them. They are in the kingdom with us. So we're not supposed to be critical, but gracious. Those are two different mindsets. And I wanna, I'm going to peel it back a little bit and give you what this concept is like. Critical, having a critical mind, would be one that's exclusive. One that, somebody that's critical, it, it, you have to, if you're a person who's regularly critical of other people, you think of yourself as better. You are separate and better. And it's easy to be critical. It's, it's easy to get upset with people. It's, uh, it's easy if you are driving down the road. I brought this analogy up the other day. They're fixing the potholes in the road and it's slowing me down. But don't you want the potholes fixed? Yes. I'm thankful for them fixing the potholes and it's slowing me down today, but I'm thankful. See how you can flip that? And, and the same thing when you're dealing with people. It's very easy to be critical and get quickly frustrated with other people. I don't know if you can tell, but Paul is trying to take us down a path and remind us, you, you were once like these people that are easy to criticize. You, you were once like that. <clears throat> I remember one particular Sunday after church, there was quite a stir. You see, one of the church leaders' son wore a baseball cap inside the worship room. And this really upset people. Now, should he have been wearing a ball cap in the worship room? It's, it's best if he didn't. But he came in, and when he came in, somebody went up to him and told him, get that hat off. He was at a particular point in his spiritual journey where he wasn't so sure about Christianity. And at that moment, when somebody chose to tell him, get that hat off, was a moment in his life where he could have very easily gone completely the opposite direction. Should he have not had the hat on? No, you can't wear a hat in a courtroom. It's not respectful. It's not, a, it's not, a, it's not the best way to adorn yourself when you attend a church service. But I can tell you, you will not see me 
going up to someone that I'm not related to and I don't have any control over and saying, get your hat off when they come into our church building. It's not going to happen. I like to hear, have them hear the gospel message, get close to Jesus, and learn things that are biblical, and maybe someday he will learn, you know what, I don't think it pleases Jesus to, to wear a hat, you know, in a church service. Probably not the best thing to do. But if we suddenly had five or six people wearing hats in this room while I'm preaching, I'm not going to miss a beat. There was a time when I probably would have thought, man, this is disturbing. How many people don't know? You're not supposed to wear a hat in church. You know, I don't do that anymore. And it's because I was once like them. I didn't know. So you can be exclusive or you can be inclusive. That doesn't mean we say, well, we accept sin. We accept sinful behavior. We're just going to accept these things. That's not what that means. What that means is you were once like them. Do you, do you know in your spiritual journey you, you had struggles? Remember when you were a baby Christian? You don't just... This is, this is one of the reasons why we don't get people to attend church because they think they've got to be perfect first. There are people that think, oh, you, know, you wouldn't want me to come. In fact, I've seen it in the lobby of a church too many times. Somebody walks in the door, and one of us knows the person, and our response is, oh my goodness, look who walked in the door of a church. You know how that feels when you're that person? We, and in fact, we even do this sometimes when people start missing, and like, okay, they've been missing for weeks, months, and it's been a couple years, and the next thing you know, they show up, and then we're like, oh, I'm going to have a heart attack. They just walked in the church. Oh my goodness. There's a better response. Let me help you out. <laughs> If you see somebody that shocks you that they walk into the door of a church, maybe they were, they've been a very, very mean, cruel person. Maybe they had addiction problems. Maybe they used to come and they quit coming and you thought they would never be back. Instead of acting like you're about to have a heart attack because they just walked in the room, how about you say what you really, deep down inside, think as Christians do? I've missed you good to see you. Do you realize the huge difference and the, the likelihood that they might come back because you said that? They'll probably say something like, well, you know, I just got to start working on Sunday. They start coming up with the excuses and you could easily stop them and say, hey, you know, it's okay. It's okay. I'm just, I'm just glad to see you. It's been a while. You, do you feel that? Isn't there a totally different feeling on the spectrum of things? And you, remember when you were a baby Christian, it wasn't suddenly like all this, you know, you're baptized into Christ and now all of a sudden you don't make mistakes anymore. You still make mistakes. And guess what? When you, but there are people that think, I can't, I can't go to church. You know, I, I, I'm, a bad word might slip out because I, I talk like that at work, you know. And it just might happen. I can't. I got to fix that. Or, I still go out drinking on Saturday nights. I can't go. i got to stop that first. Or whatever it is, people think they've got to stop before they come to know Jesus. And that, that's not the case. You can't do that without Jesus. How about you come and get to know my Lord, and he'll help you. Do you know what that means? 
That means that there, we should have people sitting in these seats who are struggling because they just got to know Jesus and they still haven't cut out the cussing like they need to because they're, they're new. You, you were once there. You remember that? And, and there was a time when you were scared to death that somebody might even ask you a question in the Bible because you don't know. And just because you've advanced in the spiritual ladder, you've climbed higher and higher, and you've developed a relationship with Christ, you've gotten closer and closer, you've knocked out a whole lot of sinful behavior, just because you've done that doesn't mean you're better than somebody else who just came to know Jesus. We're in the kingdom together. And the idea is there is hope for anyone, not just anyone who's got their life cleaned up, it's the sick who need the doctor. And, I, you know, it, it makes us uncomfortable when the first time that I had a situation where a transgendered person walked into the church building, I had no idea what in the world I was going to do because it scared me. Like, which bathroom is this person going to go in? And are there going to be children in there? You know, you got to think about those things. But I think we would be doing our job as a church if we had people, even like that, who came here and then came back and then came to know Jesus. And then even after they came to know Jesus, still might have to fix some things as Jesus works on them. Does that make sense to you? We had a, we had a situation where there was a lesbian couple that came to the church and I kept praying when I saw them come in because it was very, they were blatant. I prayed, and I remember as they were, they came back the next Sunday, I started to get concerned about what was going to happen. Now they're back. Now they're becoming, they're, they're liking the messages. They're loving the people. They're feeling the love from the people. And I was very concerned. I, I didn't know what was going to happen. I thought, in fact, at one point in time, one of them, before they made a commitment to Christ, was singing on the stage with the worship team. I'm very grateful that God gave me the opportunity when I got to have a sit-down talk. And we had to talk about the uncomfortable elephant-in-the-room subject. And I praise God that I have, I'm able to tell a story to you today that one of those people because of their commitment to Christ, decided they had to change the way they were living. And it disrupted that relationship. But they drew near to Christ. The church loved them. Didn't exclusively like, oh, no, no, that's something we can't have in here. We actually loved them, and one of them came to know Jesus and changed their life. You see... That's why I have in the title of the message series, the, the Hard Time Letters, There Is Hope. That's why I have that there. It's hope. In the title of the message today, there is hope for anyone. It doesn't matter. It could be a transgendered person. It could be a homosexual, a lesbian. It could be a drug addict. It could be a violent criminal. It could be a mean person you would never imagine being in church. It could be that family member that has pushed God away so many times 
There is hope for anyone. We have to check ourselves and be, we have to understand that it's about God's grace. God's grace is big enough. The cross is big enough to save anyone. So let's be gracious with others so that his church can be unified. Here's, here's what happens. Jesus was masterful at this. If you'll remember, Paul was masterful at this as well. Remember when the Pharisees and the Sadducees would be attacking the Christians? And Jesus or Paul were so good, they were, yeah, well, that's, they just bring up the subject of life after death, the resurrection. You see, the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. And when Jesus or Paul would bring up the resurrection, the Sadducees would get really upset. But the Pharisees were like, wait, well, there is a resurrection. And then they would start arguing. That's brilliant. Don't you think that you get the people that are fighting against you, arguing with each other, they lost. And if the devil can get the church to be critical of each other in the church and exclusive, I'm, I'm not like that, I'm better than that. If, if the devil could get us divided, and he does, then we're going to be, we're not going to be reaching out to others. We've got to be unified. We've got to be focused on His grace. Like I told you before, like Max Lucado said, when fishermen don't fish, they fight. Let's pray. God, help us. We want to be your people. We want to be unified. We want to be loving and gracious. You spent significant energy ensuring that the book of Ephesians wound up in our hands. And that Paul used many words inspired by you to remind us over and over again we were once like those other people who are currently lost. God, it's, it's difficult trying to figure out our role in this. It's difficult to figure out how we can reach lost people, but Lord, you've called us to do it. And we ask that you continue to remind us about your grace so that we can be gracious with others. And may more people come to know you and you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.